0: You know, it says getting to know Noah. I never read that because I know that guy, and so I. But today I, I just happened to read it, and man, I know my wife would not like what it says because it says we've been married 38 years. We've been married 43 years now, and it says we have two grandkids. We have six grandkids. I got to get this updated before I get in trouble at home. Yeah. So good to be back with you. I had a chance to be with you before. Good to be here again, and in, in a delightful time together. Uh, looking into God's Word, spending some time together. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to John chapter 8. There's a lot of verses there. We're not going to look at all of them, but we'll glance at a few of them in John 8 as we try to catch up with some things of Jesus' life and highlight some things out of his life. Let me start off with a question. Who is your hero? Most of us have someone as a hero, whether they're real, a real person or make-believe, I can remember as a small ch- child, a little boy growing up, I had a lot of heroes. Uh, one of my—I was in the '50s growing up, and so Walt Disney was on, and we had a, uh, Parker as, the Davy Crockett. So in the '50s, every every young boy had a coonskin hat. I mean, that's what you went after. And I had that. Then also the TV series that was going on. had had Superman, you know, and so I had a had a towel I'd wrap around, and I would go to my front porch, I'd jump off and fly, you know, I was Superman, this little guy, having a great time with that, and then I started reading a little bit, and got into the real good reading of comic books, and, and so, uh, Marvel, and, and I liked Thor, Thor was my guy, you know, I said, man, this guy's cool, and so I read about Thor and all of that, then I uh, then started watching football a little more, and in, in my upper years in my grade school yet, uh, Johnny Unitas was a quarterback from Baltimore quotes at that time and he became my hero and boy I wanted to be like Johnny Unitas and all those things were happening in my mind as a little boy growing up let me ask you though do you have someone that you admire that you would like to emulate that you would like to be like I I still kind of like Thor (laughs) Uh, because of, of well throughout the the comic books and the Marvel movies here you know as they began anyway the Thor was always strong and always noble I liked that about this guy Unless you saw the last movie, Games. Anybody see Endgame? The Thor lost a little bit of his nobility in that one, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. But so that's how it goes. My dad's hero, as he was growing up, and as he was a young man, and then as I, he told me, uh, was uh, the most decorated American combat soldier from World War II, Audie Murphy. Some of you older people recognize who he is, but you, he he won. Just tons of medals, about everything he could get, he got. He got the Medal of Honor for Valor, which he demonstrated at the age of 19. At 19, when he single-handedly held off an entire company of German soldiers for an hour at the Comar Pocket in France of January 1945. Then he led a successful counterattack while wounded and out of ammunition. I mean, this guy was amazing. Amazing. Well, all that he did as a young man in World War II. After the war, Audie Murphy became an acting, began an acting career and is an honorable and righteous cowboy, tough cowboy. Uh, but I think one of the main reasons my dad liked him so much is because my dad and Audie Murphy were the same height, five feet, five inches. Uh, whether or not we have a hero, most of us have someone that we admire and desire to follow in some manner. Let me put it to you this morning that beyond whatever real or make-believe hero you may have, truly following Jesus is the best decision you can make. Now, I'm not just talking about knowing Jesus as your Savior or being in a Bible study or coming to church consistently. Those are good things. (laughs) They're good things. But I'm talking about having such a relationship with Jesus that when you go to work on Monday or to school on Monday and people see you are you in the midst of the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat they can still see the light of Jesus in your life they see something within you that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ that's what I'm talking about to follow in such a way as that Uh, uh, let me just uh, have us go to the first verses here and John chapter 8 I have I mean I'm I'm hesitating here because I have a rather long message I know what time what time are you out two o'clock no I uh uh, I have a rather long message and uh I'm trying to say can I leave out some of this stuff um I I will try to do that so be alert in the back uh but I, I will try not to leave out anything that's really needed to be heard uh but before we look at those verses, we still need a background to the situation in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, it, it is a time where uh, they are at the festival of, of booths. It was sometimes called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a Jewish holiday to remind them of the time of Moses in the wilderness. They wandered. Some of you understand as you've read it or have heard about it that Moses in the Old Old Testament that there were 40 years that they ended up wandering in the uni- in, in the in the wilderness there, uh, and that was about the year 1200 and uh, was it 1250 BC? Uh, so a ways back before now, this is the first century. And so they would every year have this festival, and they would come to the temple and they would build booths or tabernacles outside, like camping out uh, around the temple to remind them of when the people were all in the wilderness. And inside the temple, in the women's court, in the women's court, men and women could be in there. And so in the women's court, they had these huge lamps. Uh, some scholars tell us they were 75 feet tall, and they would light these lamps to remind them of how God guided them in the wilderness. If you recall that, that God appeared as a pillar, of, a pillar of a cloud, a pillar of light, a cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night, I think it's the same thing, just in the daytime, you couldn't see the fire as much. But He guided them in that manner. And these lamps would remind them of God's guidance, of God's protection, of God's provision. And so they would celebrate every year to remind them of who God is and what he had done for them as he guided them in that wilderness. And that's the background. So with these lights, bright lights burning, or perhaps because it is the last day of the feast, they might have just extinguished those lamps. They might have just put them out. Jesus then says in verse 12 of John 8, spoke again to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now understand, Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. He knows where he is saying it, and he knows when he is saying it. They've been looking at these lamps to remind them of God and his guidance, and he is saying to them, you're celebrating God's guidance and provision for you in the wilderness. These lamps represent God's leading you. But I want you to know, I am the light of the world. He's not just a light or another light. He is the light of the world. In contrast to the darkness that we have around you, we're, we're too familiar with that. The sin, the evilness, the ignorance that we experience in the world around us. And we see it all in our daily newscasts. In contrast to that, Jesus is the light. Now, light in Scripture is a symbol of God and his holiness. Grab this now. Light is used in that way. It's used as a symbol of truth, of reality, of clarity, of wisdom, of insight, a symbol of what is good and pure and right and just. Light shows us the way to go. Jesus is the light of the world, the light the world needs, and the light you and I desperately need. Now, practically, we understand the need of light. Uh, <laughs> how many of you can remember times that you've got up in the middle of the night, and you, you, you go to do something or whatever, you got to, and you're walking around, and you stump your toe? I mean, you oh, Especially if you hit the little toe really hard. Oh, man, he you just, you just, oh, gosh. Or you're walking around and you, and you, you hit your knee on the coffee table. Oh. Or you're washing on a shelf and you, and you bang your head. How many of you have done something like that? Let's see your hand. Okay. If you haven't, you will. Okay. Yeah. And it hurts. It's painful. The, the darkness can bring pain. All right. We understand that practically. Uh, also, a darkness, sometimes there's There's fear. Uh, you can probably think of a time when you were in the dark that you were afraid. Maybe a, a time that you were walking in a uh, on a dark street in some big town, uh, even maybe this town. But you're walking in, and the thing's a little scary. And then you see somebody like Perry, and you're really scared, you know. And so, you know, so uh, you, uh, I, I, yeah, you fear. <laughs> Sorry, but I just flew out there. I just. Uh, um, you liked that, didn't you? Yeah, okay, all right, yeah. So, are, are, you know, you've gone camping, and, and it's nighttime, and you walk out from the camp, and, and you, wait, which way's back? You, 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 you feel fear. And the last time I had fear like that wasn't that long ago. Matter of fact, it was, um, I was on a run, uh, Ragnar Relay, let's get, a, yeah. Uh, these are all runners uh, from the Free Church in Sydney, Nebraska, and uh they were going to run this crazy run. It's a 200-mile relay up at Elevation. And they were one man. They were, were of man. So the guy comes hey, Noah, we're shorter, man. Can, can you run with us? I said, yeah, I'm a short man. I can run. So anyway, so I decided to go run with them and, and it was great. I loved it. it was, we started like at Breckenridge, way up, you know, up their elevation. We went up to about 12,000 and down to about 9 and, in this 200-mile run. And uh, all all of us ran three legs, about five to six miles each, and so we'd rotate through this and and run. And my first run was was fine. It was daytime. My second run was at night. I never had run at night, you know. And so we well, had had little red lights on us for not getting run over when we were by the road. And then you know I wore a headlamp. This was this was the headlamp I wore. And I'm, I'm running at night. Now let me give you the picture with this. Uh, so that, that's all the light I had. And we're running on trails, we're running along old roads, and uh, it's all right if there's a bunch of you, but we were 70 miles into the run. Now, although there were hundreds of us running, we were spread out at that time. And so, on my whole five, six miles that I ran, I only encountered two other runners, okay? And so, I'm running along there and I'm thinking, I don't see any money anywhere, and I'm thinking, am I on the right trail? Did I get off? Did I, I'm on the right road. Did I miss a turn? And so that kind of worries you. You're in the middle of the night up in the mountains running somewhere. But, so I was a little fearful. But there was something more fearful. Let me tell you. Uh, right before my run, we got a warning on our phone. It said, caution, uh, bear siding, leg 14. Leg 14, okay. <laughs> um, what? Bear sighting? And in the middle of the night, I can't see it. So I texted my wife, been nice knowing you. You know, and I, just, I said, pray, pray. So anyway, I'm running, and I, let me tell you, in the middle of the pitch black night and all the lights you've got and you're running on a trail, there are a whole lot of bushes and little trees that look exactly like a bear. I mean, I had so many adrenaline rushes. You wouldn't, I don't know how fast I ran that leg. It was fast. Man, I was never so glad to see the light ahead where the next exchange was. Oh, there I made it. Okay, here we are. That was so great that's what light is for us, Christ's light. He, 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 he helps us through. He helps us get through these things of darkness. He's, he's there to, to guide us through, uh, let's say, away from darkness, through it and away from it. We need to follow Jesus. We, we need to follow him. Just, just think of the simplicity and the depth of those words when Jesus says, follow me, the simplicity of it. Everybody, uh, follow me. Oh, you know what I mean? You follow That's very easy. Follow me. But then you think the depth of what that means to actually follow Jesus. Not only in direction, but in attitude, in thought, in action. The strength and courage of Jesus. The compassion, the grace, the mercy of Jesus. Following him is a really big thing to do. So we need to follow Jesus. Why? Because he, one reason, is the light of the world. He is the light of the world in China. He's the light of the world in Afghanistan. He's the light of the world in North Korea. He is the light of the world in Goodland, Kansas. He is the light we need to be following. Notice what else verse 12 says. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He or whoever, it's a a singular word there, so it means any individual any individual in the world who follows Jesus will not walk in darkness. Now, grab this now. When, is the condition, when we are walking with Jesus, when we are living under his direction and guidance, we will not carry out those simple desires of darkness. Greed, pride, lust will not rule us. We will not be walking in darkness. Instead, we will have the, Jesus, the light of life. All we need for living well is found in Jesus. That's what he's telling us here. Peter says it in a similar way in uh, 2 Peter 1.3. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, everything you and I need pertaining to life and godliness, he has provided for us. We already have it. We just have to lean on him. We have to turn to him. We have to allow him work in us we have what we need to live well in this dark world and do not misunderstand me i am not saying this means that nothing bad will ever happen if you're walking close to jesus some people imply that some preachers imply that you if you're right with jesus everything's going to go well if you're right with jesus and bad things are happening he will immediately correct them and you'll be fine and dandy you'll be saying hallelujah now every now and then that happens praise god it does but that is not a promise to us not at all for following close to Jesus. Now, he'll be with us. He'll help us through. But, but Jesus never promises that nothing bad will happen if we follow close enough. Matter of fact, in this same gospel, just a little later in chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, in the world you have tribulation. You still in this world? <laughs> yeah. We have tribulation. Matter of fact, some of you right now are going through a very difficult time. Some of you right now are facing difficulty, facing trials, facing trouble. Some of you, you may even call it tribulation. It's really bad. But what is true with this is that even though that may be true, if we follow Jesus, he provides the light we need to make it true. He, he will work in our heart, in our soul, in our mind as we deal with the world's troubles. Just a few weeks ago, I was with Pastor Luther Eatman. He's a pastor down uh, in Kansas City, free church pastor there. He works with the urban poor. All right, grab that now, urban poor. That, that's his life, caring for them, helping them get jobs, providing housing for them. That's his life. Most of us would not want to focus our ministry in that way. This matter of fact, most of us would not want to choose that group to work with. But he does. He's got a great heart, doing a great work. But when I was with him, uh, we changed gears a bit and began to pray for his daughter who has cancer and undergoing chemotherapy. Uh, She doesn't have cancer because she hasn't been walking close to Jesus. She doesn't have cancer because she's been a bad person. She doesn't have cancer because Luther isn't walking close to Jesus or Luther is a bad person. She has cancer because we live in a fallen world and diseases are out there and they happen to us. She loves Jesus. Luther loves Jesus, following closer than most of us ever will. We have to deal with these issues in life. What we discover is that Jesus is the light of the world that helps us and cope with those types of things. And we can still reflect him when we're in the agony of defeat. There's a second reason for following Jesus in this passage. Jesus sets us free, verses 31, 32, and 36. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Let me make a couple of comments about verse 31 first. Notice that Jesus has some questions about those Jews who had believed. I'll put quotes around who had believed. Jesus knows that people can say the right words but not truly believe. Jesus knows that they can say right words, but the will to trust may not be in line with the words of trust. Let let me explain. What I'm saying is, I'm saying Jesus thinks some of these guys said they believe. Jesus is saying, some of you don't. You're saying the right words, for instance, I could say about this chair here that that I I believe I, I believe this chair will hold me up. I mean, I I can I believe this chair will hold me up with all my heart. But I'm not believing in the way the Bible talks about believing in Jesus until I do this. That's biblical belief. It's not just up here. It's not just the right words. It's the life of a will that says, I trust, I trust, I trust. So Jesus is saying, I'm not sure about some of you. Matter of fact, he, he gives for us here a way of proof. It's not the only way of proof, but it is a proof that one would be a believer. Look at what he says. If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Not the only way to test this, but one way to test this. Now, okay. A simple understanding of abide is to be at home with, to be comfortable with, to be familiar with. Matter of fact, if I were to say, uh, come, uh, you you come and abide in my home. If I'm saying, and if you come and I'm saying you're abiding in my home, that means you like hanging out at my house. Matter of fact, you like me, or you wouldn't show up there. So, so I'm saying, abide, and what that would mean is that you come into my house and you kick your shoes off without even asking. Can I take my shoes off? You just you just take your shoes off. You go barefoot, whatever. It, you you feel comfortable there. It's your place. Matter of fact, you you would even go to my refrigerator, open it up, and take my last Dr. Pepper, without even asking, because you know it's okay. We abide. We're one. We're comfortable with each other. That's that's what it's talking about here. Jesus is saying true believers enjoy me. Jesus is saying, they eat my bread, they they drink my water, they know I'm the bread of life, they know I provide living water. They come to me, they abide in me and my word. That's someone that is truly a believer and people can know it. That's what he's bringing out here for us. In the following verses, when the Jews hear Jesus say this, their response shows that they missed his point. They think he's talking about being free from uh, enslavement to some people. Rather, Jesus is talking about setting us free from the slavery to sin. Uh, look at what verse 34 says. Jesus answered them, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Now, you don't have to hold your hand up this time, but anyone in here ever sinned? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not a question. We know that. We're born in the world with a sin nature. We inherited it from Adam and Eve. We, because we still have a remnant, thank God, of God's moral character, we do some good actions, but everything about us is tainted in some way with this sin nature. And my guess is about 99% of us this morning have already done something sinful, thought something sinful, or said something sinful, and I'm not of that 1% who hasn't. Hmm. What's the deal here then? Jesus says if you follow him, if you believe in him, if you abide in him, then he sets you free from the bondage of sin. Uh, what's the What's the deal? The, the difference is in Jesus, we have the ability and the power to not sin. We can stand firm against it. We can say no to sin. We can say no. Or Satan's trying to tempt us in some way. We say no. Yeah, 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 get me behind. Get behind me, Satan. We can we can actually say those types of things because we say you no longer have rule over me or a particular a particular bad habit you have a sinful habit you have. You can actually say well, hold on. You talk to that sinful habit. Say, no way. You're not my master anymore. Jesus has set me free from slavery to sin. I do not have to obey you. I can obey Jesus, and I'm going to do that right now. Say that out loud at times. I do. I look around who's around me so I don't look like a crazy man. But, but I will every now and then out loud say, no way, Jose. You know, I'm not doing that. Or Noah, get your mind right. Noah, come on. Stop it. You're not, you have power over that. You don't have to go that direction. I'm serious. I I do that a lot. Well, not as much as Brian does it, but no. Anyway, no, (laughs) no, you know, for all of us, yes, We, we need to realize Jesus has set us free from bondage. Some of you have been under bondage for years to a particular sinful habit that you have not been able to overcome. It's like Satan has a death grip on you. Let me tell you, Jesus just says, no, he doesn't. He's pulled that away. He set us free from that. He is the light of the world. As you walk with him, follow him, you will not walk in darkness. You do not have to go that way. You can choose. You can choose to follow Jesus. Now, with this, some of you are thinking an erroneous thought. You are... You're looking forward to the day while still on this earth that you will be walking so closely to Jesus that, you know, sin won't be much a problem for you. You'll you'll be abiding and yielding, abiding to Jesus, yielding to the Holy Spirit, obeying the Father's will so much that sin is almost not an issue for you. I'm sorry to inform you, but hear this and hear this well. The better we get to know Jesus, the closer we walk with him, the more struggles we have with sin. Now, I know that sounds contradictory, but hear me out. Don't leave yet. Give me, give me another minute. It sounds contradictory, but think with me. What is true is that when we become more like Jesus, the holier we become. That's right, absolutely. And, yes, we stop more and more of those normal sins that are taking place in our lives. But the holier, the more Christ-like we become, the more clearly we see our sins the more we recognize them, Those things that we did not even notice in our lives before become evident to us. We start realizing how sinful we really are. (laughs) Actions we much ignored or rationalized, they hit us like a sledgehammer. Things that didn't even bother you before, all of a sudden now, because you've been walking with Jesus. You know what purity is. You know what righteousness is. You know what goodness is. You know what grace is. You know this. And now, this thing that you ignored before in your life, it, it, it's like HD now as you see it very clearly it's sin it's sin it's wrong it would do some of us some good it'd do all of us some good to notice this progression in the life of the apostle Paul I, we, we, there's a progression here about AD 55 he wrote 1st Corinthians now I say about because scholars differ a year or two perhaps from when they thought 1st Corinthians was written this is about the best you're going to get in saying when it was. But it's about A.D. 55 that he wrote 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, he refers to himself as the least of the apostles. Okay? He sees himself as the least of the apostles. Well, most of us, when we look at Paul as the apostles, we we, we put him up here. You know, maybe we don't have John or Peter close. But usually Paul's up here in our way you would estimate this guy and how he followed God. We and, and and so he's the least of the apostles. Apostles. What, who, what do you know about Bartholomew? I mean, we can't even spell his name. I mean, much less who is this guy? You know? Yeah, he's one of the apostles. Oh, he is? Yeah, yeah. Paul says I'm am less than him. We don't know anything, hardly anything, about Bartholomew. Now he's he's seeing this because he's seeing who he really is and what God has given him and what he understands. And man, he should be so much better than he is because of what god has done for him grabbing that okay that's, now look about five six years later AD 61 he writes the book of ephesians where he refers to himself as the very least of the saints now if you study the word much you realize that the word saint refers to a believer anyone who is a true believer in jesus christ in scripture when that word saint is used is talking about somebody that trusts jesus as their savior that's a saint so, every one of you in this room who have trusted Jesus as your Savior, he is saying he's less than you. He's less than me. He, he is less, uh, less than any of the saints, the very least of the saints. Well, what's going on? This is, uh, he is saying, wait a minute, I'm not only the least of the apostles, I'm the least of the believers. He's seen himself as he ought to be and as he is not. But then it goes further. A.D. 61, about five years later, uh, he, he was martyred in A.D. 67. So one year before his martyrdom, in 1 Timothy, he writes the book of 1 Timothy, and he says of himself, he is the foremost of all sinners. Look at that progression. Least of the apostles, least of the saints, foremost of all sinners. Whoa, now listen, he is not just using hyper, hyperbolic language. He's not just expressing something to an extent to, for emphasis. This is what he sees. Why does he see that? Because he knows who he should be. He knows who he should be in his relationship with Jesus Christ. He has gotten so connected with Jesus over these 30 plus years of following him. He's gotten so connected with him. He realizes, oh man, I have failed so much. Now. That's on the negative side with that. Of course, he has a great relationship. But what we see with this is a basic pattern I think you'll find in your own life and in any growing Christian's life. We we will grow in holiness. Absolutely. We We will stop doing some of those stupid things we've been doing. We will correct things. We'll become more like Christ. We will be more holy. With that, when it's truly working Christ in you, you will also, coupled with that, be more humble. You, you're getting close to Jesus, you don't become, hey, look at me, look how close to Jesus I am. <laughs> no! No! Like some seem to do. No, you, you, you're you there and you say, man, by God's grace, I, anything I've done, it's not because of me, it's because of him. And you have that type of humility. That That's with real growth. Real growth brings real humility. But with those things, with the holiness and humility, we have a greater recognition of our sinfulness we catch ourselves so much more than we did before because we see things clearly and we recognize that that gives us a chance to correct more and more things in our lives to so come to walk in the light so he said wait a minute how can jesus do all this be the light of the world provide true light for us set us free from the bondage of sin when Jesus backs all this up at the end of John 8, the Pharisees and the Jews have been asking Jesus in verse 25, they're saying to him, Who are you? Who are you? He's told them he's the light of the world. He sets people free. He speaks the truth. He has said to them he is without sin. And the Pharisees are flabbergasted. Finally, they say, You're not greater than our father Abraham or the prophets, are you? And Jesus answers in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. And was glad. By the way, Abraham lived uh, two thousand one hundred BC, two thousand one hundred years before this time. He rejoiced to see my day. And so, uh, the the Jews they, they hear they hear what's being said there, and they say to him, uh, "You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham?" Jesus follows then with this amazing, very clear statement to them. Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born." I am, the Greek words used to translate I am are the same Greek words used to translate the Hebrew word Yahweh back in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. That's where God was speaking to Moses in the burning bush and he's getting ready to send him back to Egypt to deliver the people. And Moses is saying, hey, I don't know about this. What am I going to tell the people? They're going to say, who has sent me? He said, what name shall I use? What shall I say? And God said to Moses, I am who I am, he said. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In John eight fifty eight, Jesus is saying he is Yahweh. He is saying to them, you want to know who I am? I'm God. I'm God. And the Jews understand him. In the last verse in John 8, they take up stones to kill him because he's claiming to be God. But it was not yet his time to die. So Jesus in some way hid himself. He got out of there. Why should we follow Jesus? Why should we truly get serious about abiding in Jesus? Really, the reasons are innumerable. But at least here we see three. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus sets us free from slavery, from bondage to sin, and he's God. I mean, he's God. Pretty good to follow God, all right? That's a good thing. One of the most faithful followers of Jesus I've ever known is this lady named Madella Hill. Here's a picture of her, when and back in uh, 2016 I was in her home, and she's a, she's a Native American, full-blooded Creek Native American uh, in back in Oklahoma. You see her uh, see her uh, blanket there, Indian blanket. Just a neat gal. Uh, here's another picture of her. We'll let this one set up there a little bit. Just uh, you can already see some joy. Even though she's she's not doing well physically at that time, uh, that was still a a great time with her. And I got to know her so well because her second son became my best friend in junior high, high school, and all the years beyond. My best friend. I was in her home a lot. She fixed us big breakfasts, and man, it was just great. And and, uh, just this is one of the most faithful followers of Jesus. I've ever known. One of the best days of my life was December the 13th, 2017. I was honored to do her funeral. I went back to little town, Ufaula, Oklahoma, where I grew up, and and uh, their church was called Tuskegee, Indian Baptist Church. It was uh, about five miles out of town, and where she grew up We're going to church, and, and they had asked, asked me to come and do uh, have a message at, at her funeral. There were others that talked too. There was a lot that wanted to say things, but I was given that opportunity. Best day. I, it's really cl- you know. There's, there's not many. You know, so I have to say, still one of the best days of my life. I'm there. This church is jam packed with Native Americans. Two white people there, myself and one other, and the rest are all Native Americans. Just filled up the whole church. They're there. Even even uh, Chief uh, Chief Floyd, the chief of the Creek. Indians is there. He is there uh, because he wants to honor this woman. Now understand, this woman was not a speaker. This woman was not a singer. This woman was never up front. That's not who she was. She wasn't a leader of others. And, and this, No, that's not who she was. But she was a faithful follower of Jesus. So faithful that all these people wanted, excuse me, I needed a Kleenex. I don't have one. All these people wanted to honor her so they show up and fill up this church. I, I attempted to reflect the strength of this woman. She became a Christian at 12 years old in Tuskegee Indian Baptist Church in a Sunday school class. Grew in Christ, following in the light of Jesus. Grew in Christ, later got married, had her first baby, a beautiful little girl. But that little girl died in her first year. Now, none of us can truly relate to the loss of a child unless you've lost one. We, we, you know, we can sympathize with, but we can't really understand the pain and the agony of losing your child. She handled it well because she was walking in the light of Jesus. And Jesus was her strength. Very difficult, but made it through that time. She later had her first son. And they named him Bunny. Well, his name was Jimmy, but they called him Bunny because, as a little boy, he ran like a rabbit. And Bunny was two years older than me, and uh, uh, he was our fullback when I was in high school a sophomore, and he was a senior. And they would say, give the ball to Bunny, boy, he can run." So, had, so he played fullback on the football team uh, in in high school. And then she had Pudge. Uh, Pudge. His name was Belvin, but he was, yeah. Uh, you know, He deserved his name. So he gave his name early, Pudge, because he played. uh, He didn't play in the back. He played on the line. Um, He covered most of the whole line. That was Pudge. Pudge became my best friend, and we just loved hanging out together. Well, later, Bunny, Bunny, his older brother, became an ordained pastor. Medela was so proud, in a good way, so proud that her son had decided to give his life, full-time work, uh, to serving Jesus. And, and he was pastoring well with, among, the, among the Native Americans primarily. But then in his 40s, he got cancer, and he died. Now, a, a lot of people would have said, hey, God, what's going on here? I've followed you all my life. Uh, uh, my, I lose my first daughter. And then, oh, I forgot to say, after Pudge was born, uh, her, her husband ran off, never came back. That had happened in her life. And now her her faithful son, who had become an ordained pastor, dies of cancer. A a, a lot would have been having great difficulty with God at that time. But not Medella. Not Medella. Because God was not only her strength, God was her shield. She continued to walk in the light of Jesus. And God was like a, a shield for her against the schemes of the evil one, trying to implant bad thoughts in her brain to say, you need to forsake this God you're following so closely. Look what he does to you. But then in 2006, at the age of 54, my best friend Pudge dies. He had a heart attack. And here's Madala. She's, she's following Jesus so faithfully. She loses her first child. She, her husband runs off. She loses her second child. She loses her, her third child. Oh, by the way, Pudge had become an ordained pastor too. He, he Matter of fact, he, when I was in college, is one of the instrumental people that helped me start following Jesus well. I can still remember him taking me with him as he went to do some discipling with a guy from, from Tulsa. Rode with him and it was new to me. What are you doing? What is this? I, I knew Bible stories, but... Studying and learning. No. Pudge was a great influence in changing my life. And now he died. Imagine being the mother. You be that mother. Who's faithful to God. And your daughter dies. Your son dies. Your second son dies. I had a chance to be at that funeral. I spoke at Pudge's funeral. In that same church. In that same building. And I remember at the end of it going over and. To be with her, and she, and she was solid. She was solid. Because she still, she, a lot of women would have shaken their fist at God. What are you doing? It's not right. It's not fair. It's not just. But not Madella. God was her strength. God was her shield. But God, he, she allowed to also be her shepherd, to hold her, comfort her, help her to get through this time. She faced this. I remember walking through and, and seeing she was over the right side as I was leaving. And I walked over to say, "Madela, how sorry I am that, that now that Pudge just died. Medela looked me in the eye. She said, Noah, I've lost two sons, but I still have one. <laughs> and I, I, I start crying. I was about to cry now. Uh, she was seeing me. And what this woman did from that day on, she prayed for me every day, every day, like her own son. I made a vow to God that every time I go back to Oklahoma and to my hometown, I, w- I would go see her. And I did. Every time I went back, uh, whatever, see my parents, whatever. And, and uh, Mandela had such a wonderful sense of humor. You, uh, my goodness, she, uh, I, I would go back. And the most times I would go back, it was for a funeral. Uh, My my dad died in 2009. My mom died in 2012. And then my dad had uh, seven other siblings and their spouses. And so when one of them would die, I would go back to to the funeral with my uncle or aunt and be going back there. And so, but every time I would go, I, I would go to see, see Mandela and, and so I'm home this one time. It wasn't for a funeral, but I'm home this one time and I call up out to Madela's house and I say, oh, Vanessa, Bunny's daughter, was taking care of her. And I said, oh, Vanessa, hey, this is Noah. I'm back in town. Can, can, I, can I come out and, and, and see Madella? Is it a good time? She's, I'll ask her. She goes, Madela, Noah's here. Can he come and see you? And Madella answers, Noah's here. Who died? <laughs> And then I heard her laughing in the background. <laughs> oh gosh. It's so so I'm at this funeral and I'm telling all the Native Americans about Madella. And I just got to that point. I, was, and I said Do you know what guys? I, I can see Madella in heaven right now. And she's looking down and says, Oh look, Noah's in Euphala. Who died? Oh, oh, it's me. I'm Noah <laughs> and, and so but she's okay with that because she is with her Savior. She is in heaven, with the one who had strengthened her, the one who had been her shield. The one who had been her song. The one who had been her shepherd. And she's experiencing him full realm as her her savior and rejoicing in heaven. Madella is one who walked in the light of Jesus till her last breath. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for working in our lives and guiding us in darkness, helping us get through it or get out of it. Uh, I pray that we will be those who truly follow you. That we will abide in you. That we will be comfortable and you comfortable with us. Uh, that We'll be that type of believer. Allowing you to let us experience the light of life. In Jesus' name we pray.